Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. The One Tough Mother Podcast. The One Tough Mother Show is real talk with special guests, including industry leaders, celebrities, and amazing women who've overcome adversities to work their way to the top and are willing to share their real life lessons. Remember, you don't have to be a mother to be one tough mother. It's all about you. And welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. Wow. 73 degrees this week, dude. What do you think? I think it was nice. What'd you do? I took my kids to the playground. Any issues? Yeah, of course. Oh, come on. Are you kidding me? All of a sudden, um, these two little kids, little, start like mouthing off to Talia. Nasty. And she starts screaming back at him. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. So I, I went up there. I said, no, she's not. Get away. <laughs> oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, all parents. Like, yeah, I was just like a – I stuck out like a – you know, I just was not – I was not happy anyway. So um, it was uh, – you know, I, I was that guy. Yeah. You're always that guy, though. Yeah, you know, I, I realized I should let it play out a little bit. Um, these kids were little bullies, though. They These two in particular were going around – with what they were saying and everything. If I hear my kid talking like that, he's getting smacked. I'll tell you oh, right now. You know what? So you're so right because I was in the store today and I'm going to, I'm telling you right this second, if this kid was six, it, it was amazing. You know, five, six years old. Well, he wanted something on the shop. He's like, I want this. Mother's like, no, I want this. Mother's like, no. He's like, I want it. Ah, and he's like flipping out. I'm like, Dude, take your kid out of the store right Did now. Did you say that? Did you say that? Yeah, no, no, I'm thinking. If, if this was uh, my kid, I'd be taking that kid to the car. Like, get your kid out of the store now. It wouldn't be your kid. Just uh, not happening. No, uh-uh. And no. honestly, Seth, they walked around with that kid screaming. I'm going to tell you what. That kid had to have screamed a good three to five minutes. I would have lifted him up by his ear and carried him out of the store. Right? Yeah. That taught the kid nothing. They both, the father and the mother, completely ignored the kid like he wasn't even making a sound. Everybody around them is staring at them, looking at them. The kid is like wailing, screaming, crying. And they acted like the kid absolutely wasn't even talking. Unless, of course, you know, the kid has like a, some kind of disability or something, you know, I'll, I'll give him a pass. But that doesn't sound like this is the, that's the case. No, not at all. Uh, uh-uh. uh. And you, you would have done. You would have taken your kids out of the store, right? Yeah. Well, it's just not. My kids aren't going to act like that. So I have no to- zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And also, lay off the sugar with the kids. Like, look at look at the grams of sugar that you're supposed to have as an adult, and kids are having double that. Imagine like a 30-pound, 40-pound kid having twice the amount of sugar an adult should have. 
so true. And you know what? Th things that uh, you buy, like, I know that some kids love ketchup. Ketchup is loaded with sugar. Of course. Loaded. Like, I can't mustard. Think... Huh? Mustard rules. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no sugar. No sugar. And I don't think, I can't think of a lot of foods. Like, I think so many foods that are that you buy that are pre-made are just loaded with sugar, so you like them. Absolutely. Everything has sugar in it. Juices. How about, do you give your kids like apple juice and all those juices? We use honest juice, which is as low as sugar of any of the juices you can buy. Right. right. Kids. Like instead of 30 grams of, of, of sugar per serving, it's like nine. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's watered down juice. Oh, okay. Then it's good. And if I don't give them that, then I give them a cup of... Uh, juice with half water in it or three quarters we always did that i always did that a i did that because i was poor and i had a lot of kids and then it just became the norm like we always watered down juice juice is all sugar it's like drinking soda it is absolutely 100 percent. it is just loaded with sugar that's why god put all this stuff inside the fruit like you have to eat the fruit if you want the benefit yep that's it well Weird. i mean that's our parenting class for today people <laughs> Yeah, send a check. <laughs> yeah, send a check to us for our parenting advice. Yeah, smack them and don't give them sugar. That's the advice. <laughs> anyway, I, I first of all, you know how excited we've been about this interview, and it, it's just uh, the gratitude and the the you know honor that we feel to have this woman on our show because she's extremely busy and she made. I mean, she went out of her way. To be on the show and i'm just like so grateful jennifer dulski is the head of groups and community at facebook with more than one billion users doing her part to bring the world closer together the former president and coo of change.org a social enterprise company that empowers people everywhere to start and win campaigns for change jennifer grew that company from 18 million users to 180 million users with many thousands of successful social change campaigns around the world. Can you imagine that? Like Unreal. if you read her bio, she is a true crusader from like day one, from little. In her Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Purposeful, Are You a Manager or a Movement Starter?, Jennifer shares how each of us can be movement starters. But I have to be honest. She, the, what I thought was super killer about Jennifer, and this is true. I was like blown away by this. She is honestly the first woman ever to sell a company to Google. How's that going? Wow. That's awesome. I know. She's amazing. It's with pleasure. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Great gratitude for your time, Jennifer. You've been, you were so awesome to, to, Make sure you schedule this show and we're on it. Thank you for being on the One Tough Mother Show. We welcome to our show, Jennifer Dolsky. Hello, Jennifer. Welcome to the One Tough Mother Show. How are you? I am great. Thanks so much for having me here. Oh, please. I'm so thrilled. And I, I'm going to jump right into this because I know how busy you are. I mean, geez, you only run a little company. But anyway, a little piece of a little company. I wanted to ask you real quick. We like to get to know our guests a little bit. Where'd you grow up at? Like, where'd you come from? 
Well, I, I actually grew up in the city of San Francisco, I, although I was born in Chicago and I moved when I was four. So the true San Francisco natives don't count me. Um, but I grew up right in the city. I took the public bus to school starting in kindergarten, which I always laugh at now because my parents had me chaperoned by a fourth grader who was 10 years old, who they thought was old enough to take me on the bus to school. That's so true. Back in the day, like the thing right. we did, it was amazing that we're even alive. Exactly. And so then you went to school where? So I went uh, to school at Cornell on the East Coast. So I did a pretty big adjustment, at least in terms of the weather. Uh, and then I lived on the East Coast for about 10 years overall and then moved back to the Bay Area. So when you were in school, like, what was your vision? Like, what were your dreams? Like, is this what you had envisioned your life was going to roll into? <laughs> it's so funny. Um, because I actually found a journal that I had written when I was a junior in college. I did a semester abroad studying rainforest ecology in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil, which I, I wasn't studying ecology in school, but I just wanted to really push myself out of my comfort zone. So I, I did that semester away and I kept a journal. And on one of the pages in this journal, I was rambling on about what I thought might come of my life. And I wrote, I think I'll either be a teacher or some kind of leadership guru. <laughs> oh my <laughs> I God. That was so funny. That's yeah. like insight to the max. Was that the first time you'd read that in a long time? Oh, I mean, in 25 years. And so the, the really ironic thing is the very first thing I did after college was become a high school teacher. So I, I basically did, did one. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a guru, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about leadership and talking about it to, to lots of people. So it, it, That's an amazing insight, too. And then to read it, it, it was yeah. like... It was like cement. You like wrote that in cement. Right. It's pretty funny. Everything I've read about you or everything I've, I've looked into about you, you were such a huge proponent from day one, from day one for social change. I mean, before you led Facebook groups and community, before anything else, you were so involved and, and so you know, interested in social change. What was the driver there? Yeah, I just really believe in the power of people. And my whole life, I have seen what happens when you invest in people and believe in them. And I have spent the rest of my life so far trying to look for ways to do that at scale, trying to really empower people to be their best. And so it started when I was very young. I did a lot of tutoring and then I became a coxswain on the crew team, which is a role that, you know, empowers the team. And then I became a teacher, as I mentioned. My first real job, I started this nonprofit called Summerbridge, which helps students be the first in their families to go to college. And just being able to see that happen, see people's lives change and what each individual is capable of, it's such a high, really. Um, and so I've been looking for ways to do that at larger scale ever since. You know, it's, you're so truthful in that because I always say, and I, I tell my kids or anyone I'm speaking to or whenever I'm speaking, you're never happier than when you're helping someone else. When you're it's making so someone, true. When you're making someone else happy, that is when you're smiling and laughing and you're just really, your whole heart is just singing, right? Absolutely. And it's funny because I think like 
it, during the times in my life when I or others have been really down about something, it is so true. The best way to heal that is to go, you know, volunteer at a soup kitchen or just get out into the community and really try to be of service to other people. And because it, A, it puts all, all my own problems in perspective and B, it really does offer value to other people. It, it's true. So truthful. Even with one tough mother, I started this during a really serious crisis in my life. And mm. here I thought I'm helping all these women. I'm writing this advice column. I'm getting all these great reviews. The reality is, Jen, they were helping me because right. I was so involved in helping them. I didn't realize it. And when you're helping other people, you're just, your whole heart and soul is into that. And that's when you are your happiest. I believe that. Yeah, I agree. So here's one of the things I love about you, because I think this is just kick ass, that you're the first woman to sell a business to Google, right? Yes, that is true. Like that is such a coup. Like I'd be walking in the room like, hello, yeah, it's me. You know, it's funny because the, the other thing, the, it's the way I realized this actually. So I was running a startup at the time. It was called The Deal Map. Uh, it was a company that had seen its fair share of failures, like lots of things we tried that didn't work. And then the, what was the fourth version of our product ended up being very successful. And we had the choice to either sell the company or take more funding. We had offers for both. And we did decide to sell the company, which I think was the right thing to do. And it, it's interesting because our our technology is now the foundation of what is Google local. So whenever I go and use Google and read about businesses, it's, it's really rewarding because I think, wow, that's what we built. Um, but I didn't realize I was the first female entrepreneur to sell a company to Google until I went to one of the events that they host at the company for founders and CEOs of companies they've bought. And I went to this event and it was all men. I mean, all men. And I just thought, that can't be possible. Like, how could this be possible? And so I actually went back to the corporate development team and said, can we just check? Like, am I really the only woman? And at, as of that time, I was. And then about maybe a few months after that, they ended up being two more after me. And I think there have been others since. That is just, that is just so rewarding and amazing, though. Because, you know, let's talk just as hair because you know back in the day there weren't a lot of women in tech doing a lot of great things right that That's was for the sure industry right yes absolutely and especially there were times in my career where i was not only working in tech but you know i remember the time when i was leading yahoo autos as an example i had the double male industry it was both tech and automotive so i would go to these conferences and there were not very many women there um, yeah. I think that's really rewarding myself. I mean, I came from a pretty much all male industry. I think it's um, a certain personality, though, a certain person that can kind of just slide right into that. And we feel, I, I know myself, I feel more comfortable that way. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I had had early experiences in my life that, that helped prepare me for that. One is, um, you know, I had two working parents, so I had a mom who worked and you know, sort of showed me that it's possible to be really successful in your career as a woman and as a mother. Um, my father was one of those men who told me from a very small age that I could do and be anything I wanted. And then when I was in high school, as I mentioned, um, I was a coxswain on the crew team. This is the person who steers and coaches and strategizes the race. And 
I coxed the men's crew team in high school. And so I got very used to being around, you know, a lot of, of young men who had strong personalities. They were also all very tall because it was a rowing team and I was very small. Uh, and if I didn't learn how to earn respect and make myself heard in that environment, I wouldn't have been successful. And that really helped me as good preparation for the future. Right. Is that the person who like sits in the, in the, in the boat and yells, right? Yes. And in fact, you don't yell anymore because now they have technology and you have a microphone. So you just talk into it and they have little speakers throughout the boat. But it's a, it's a pretty interesting job because the coach, unlike many sports where the coach is on the sidelines, in rowing, the coach stays at the starting line. And so the coxswain is essentially the coach during the race. You're the one whose job it is to decide how many strokes per minute they should take, when they should pull harder, you know, take what's called a power 10. You're the one giving feedback to people in real time about their performance. It's really good leadership training. That is awesome, especially when you saw guys. <laughs> right, right. Right, row, row. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. I have to ask you, I was, I'm totally was in love with change.org. What a, an amazing, amazing um, campaign. I mean, tell us a, a little bit about change.org when you were there. Sure. So I joined change.org at the very beginning of 2013. And it is, as you say, you know, it's really an incredible platform that allows everyday people to create and win campaigns for change on all the things that matter to them. And it is a global company. So it's, um, it's a, what's called a social enterprise company, not a nonprofit. I think people get confused by that. And people from all walks of life, from you know, teenagers to grandparents and everything in between, they start petitions. And now over a thousand campaigns are started every day. Dozens of campaigns actually win every day, which means that the decision maker who that campaign was targeted to agrees to do the thing that they were asked to do. And it was a really incredible experience. My job was, I was president of the company and, and so my job was to help scale the technology, to help scale the audience around the world and to find a business model that worked for them as well. That's, that's amazing. And you know what? I, I saw the stats. I mean, you walked in, there was 18 mil. That's a few people. You walked out, there's 180 mil. That's, That's incredible. right. I am. It's something I'm very proud of. Although there, you know, obviously there's a a really incredible team of people that made that happen, and now there, are, you know, well over 200 million users around the world, and and quite successful. So so it, let's go to Facebook now. Facebook groups and communities love it. Just so you know, I believe that everybody is out there searching for their tribe, and, and when they find their tribe. There's so much that can be brought around by that, like being around like-minded people or people with vision or people that you want to learn something from. I mean, I don't say that, you're, that your tribe has to be the people that say, say I'm, you know, I'm an automotive mechanic and I all of a sudden decide, oh, I love painting, you know, so you could join that community. Yeah. How is that working out? I mean, it is incredible. I have to say, I, I am so amazed every day by what I see happening. So this is a product that's used by 1.4 billion people, billion people every month. And there are tens of millions of communities on basically every topic you can imagine. So as you point out, 
all the things that matter in our lives, you know, parenting, our workplaces, our local neighborhoods, the health struggles we have, the passionate hobbies, there is a group for everything. And what it does is help people find a sense of belonging and meaningful connection to other people. And sometimes it is people who are just like you, but sometimes it's people who, you know, you may have one thing in common, but other things about you may be different. And so it not only helps people find their tribe, but it helps build understanding between people who might not always see eye to eye on everything. And that's what's really powerful about it. I, um, you know, the, the mission of my team is to help everyone in the world belong to at least one community they find meaningful. And so our team works on trying to find those communities for themselves too. And one of, one of the ones that's personally meaningful to me is a community for, for um, parents who have older kids. You know, my kids are teenagers. Um, and so there's a group called Grown and Flown Parents for, for people who have older kids. And the type of bonding that you see happening in, in groups like this among essentially strangers is just like something I've never seen before. So one of my favorite examples is um, there, you know, oftentimes these are parents of kids who are in college and those kids are far away, right? Like my daughter goes to school across the country. And there was one day a mom posted into the group and said, I just got a text from my daughter's friend that she was in a car accident and she's being rushed to the ER and I'm in Philadelphia and she's in Texas and I don't know what to do. And within five minutes, there were hundreds of comments on this post of people saying, you know, I'm in Texas, I'm a nurse, I'll be there in half an hour, I'm going to the ER, <laughs> like just incredible things that, you, that couldn't happen without a tool like Facebook groups. That's just so amazing. And I love that grown and flown because my children are all older too. Um, how many kids do you have? One? I have two, two daughters. Two daughters. See, I have three sons and a daughter. And there's times when you'll run into someone and you'll discuss something that might be going on in your life and they'll be like, oh my God, that happened to me. Or, oh my gosh, that happened to us. And you, all of a sudden it lifts a ton of weight off your shoulder, right? Right. Exactly. And that is such an amazing group. And so well, how many billions with a B? <laughs> it's 1.4 billion people who use the product. And again, it's like, so, I, you know, parenting is a really, um, you know, common topic. Lots of people want to be in parenting groups. But the other thing that I love about this is the thing that might make you feel unusual or different, I guarantee you can find a group for that. Like, you know, there are groups for people who love beekeeping. There are groups for, you know, people who teach harmonica lessons. There's a group, one of my favorites is called the Back of the Pack Runners. It's for people who love to run, but run really slowly. We want to be in that group. Together, exactly. So, um, yeah, but just about anything you can imagine is there. And so this whole time that you've been working, you've been raising kids. Tough? No? Oh, yeah. <laughs> How is that is jail tough. working out sometimes when you can't be at something, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. So I've, um, I actually wrote an article uh, a few years ago now that I originally titled, Work-Life Balance is Bullshit. Am I allowed to say that on your show? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I, that was the original title. It ran in Fortune magazine, and they wouldn't let me title it that. So it ended up being called There's No Such Thing as Work-Life Balance. I love the um, bullshit better. <laughs> right. 
But the reason I, I say that is because I, I use a term I call the work-life mashup. It's sort of like they're just layers on top of each other. And this idea that they can somehow be perfectly balanced just never really worked for me. I always say, you know, when I walk into work, I am still a mom. And if something happens with my child, you know, if I get a phone call in the middle of an important meeting and it's about my child, I am leaving that meeting no matter what. And then I say, you know, when I walk home at the end of the day, I still am a leader of a company. And that means if something urgent happens at work, I also will probably leave the middle of dinner, you know, if I have to. And, and my kids and my family have always understood that about me. Um, and that's the way I've made it work personally. But I have, I have also come to the realization that there is no such thing as perfect. And I'm just doing the best I can, you know, and I've, I've also found that guilt, even though it's hard to ignore it, it doesn't actually make me better at what I'm doing. So right. I try to not feel guilty and to just be relieved that I'm, you know, doing the best I can. And there are, of course, funny moments where I'm reminded that I'm not perfect. Like I remember one day when my daughter was little and we were in the playground and she was playing in one of those little houses on the playground and I came in and I said oh can I play with you and she turned away and said I'm in a meeting <laughs> I was like oh god that is like a brutal look in the mirror um but you know all in all I feel I feel very blessed to have you know wonderful healthy family and a job that I love so yeah, yeah you know it's and when you said um you make it you call it mashable the work life bullshit is so true because I equate my family life and all the work I've done in my lifetime as a bad computer system where you just keep putting on patches right right because you know what you have to have a patch for this and you have to have a patch for yeah. that and that might not match up with this but there's a workaround yeah Exactly. So I, I always think of it that way. So scary, Jen, was it ever, any, was it ever scary to know that you're like walking into these big companies and you're going to have billions of people and did you ever take a step back and go, whoa, wait, wait. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly in the job that I have now, there are days when thinking about the scale of what we do is, um, onerous. It's, you know, it's a big responsibility. Like I have a large team whose job it is part of my team to just keep groups safe on Facebook. And we think a lot about how to, you know, make sure that that people aren't being bullied and harassed and the content isn't violating our standards and so forth. And, um, you know, we take that very seriously. I spend a lot of time thinking about that and understanding the importance of it. It's, you know, it's a big weight and it's important that we do it well. Yeah, it's the world. You know, yeah. you're, you're opened up to the world. So um, you have to think of it that way. People forget that sometimes. And yeah. their community, you know, their community may be smaller or their group may be smaller or their Facebook, you know, family may be small. But when you're talking in, in scale, it's the world, actually. Yes, yes absolutely. So last, I, I know that you're, you've got to go, but I just have to ask you. I first have to say congratulations on being an author. You're a Wall Street Journal bestseller, purposeful. Are you a manager or a movement starter? Gosh, damn it. I hope I'm a movement starter. You certainly are. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So I, after spending time working in these different industries and, and again, getting this kind of front row seat to watching regular people ignite extraordinary change in the world, I started learning about what it is that they were doing, what skills and steps they had in common. Um, and so I decided that I would put it into a book. And the goal is to have as many people as possible understand the steps that it takes to create change and to start movements in the world, whether they are, you know, some of them may be big global movements and others may be things in your own community or inside the company you work for or at the school your kids go to. It can be of any size and whatever matters to you. And uh, the book is available. I also have a Facebook group for the book called Purposeful, um, which I'd encourage people to join, even if they don't read the book, anyone who wants to kind of create change in the world and be part of a community that's doing that. Um, can join that group. Well, well, the Tough Mother Army will definitely be joining. Jennifer Dolsky, I can't thank you enough. I, I'm so honored that you were on our show and um, for the generosity of your time because I know time is so very important to everyone. Thank you so very much for being our guest. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to be here. We're here anytime you need us. Let us know if you need any support. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. The One Tough Mother Podcast. Real talk with amazing women who have worked their way to the top and want to share their real life lessons with you. And we're back. Great interview with Jennifer. She's an amazing person. Like this woman was a, a movement starter from, from little, little, little. She's a, just an amazing person. In the meantime, we've got headlines and headaches. Okay. Let's start with McDonald's U-turns on minimum wage. McDonald's says it will no longer take part in lobby efforts pr to prevent raising the minimum wage. How about that? Wow. The fast food giant's decision to quit the National Restaurant Association's campaign comes after U.S. Chamber of Commerce said it would negotiate raising the hourly minimum wage. Propo proposed legislation would see the current minimum wage of $7.25 per hour, which was set in 2009, increase to $15 per hour over the next five years. Wow. Um. Well, McDonald's, you know, they can afford to pay $15 an hour. The, the thing that this hurts is, is other things like, um, you know, waiters and waitresses maybe. And, uh, you know, because they, they get paid mostly on tips. I don't know if that, if that kicks in. And also just certain jobs like, um, you know, I, we, we've been affected by this too with the why. You know, now they're raising all their prices because they got to pay more people more money. Um, these jobs aren't meant to be career. Some of these jobs aren't meant to be career jobs like to make a living on, you know, these are jobs for people who are, you know, still living at home or, or, you know, supplemental income. So it's, some of it's, you know, obviously you want people to make more money and, and be able to earn a living, but it's not always that black and white. Um, you're a thousand percent, right. A thousand percent. Right. And it, you know, the, the economy, things are so expensive. Like you can't, you can't raise a family at all on what most people pay. I'm doing okay. And still struggle. Right. Exactly. So, can't win. Nope. I keep trying to win the lottery. It doesn't happen. Yeah. I didn't even get one number. Ugh, a nightmare. Some guy in Wisconsin won. bought a whole bunch of cheese. Right. <laughs> Drunk shopping is, I saw this actually, I saw this story. Uh, it made me think like, Oh, how can I, how can I, uh, capitalize on this? Oh my God. Me too. <laughs> drunk shopping is a $48 billion industry. Repeat drunk shopping 
is a $48 billion industry. Consumers are spending an average of $440 a year on purchases made while intoxicated, and most sales are made on Amazon, according to a survey from The Hustle. E-commerce is encouraging the trend, with 85% of respondents stating that online shopping increases their impulsive purchases after a few too many. Most buyers are purchasing clothes, but travel and tech here also made the list. Unbelievable and so, so imaginable. Like seriously, that had to have been like years and years in the making. People are like, yeah, drunk shopping. Can you imagine like you just, you're just on the computer and you just start picking stuff out? The best is they get the packages and they forget they even ordered anything. (laughs) Right? Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't remember getting this. I'm going to make, we should make t-shirts that said, I bought this when I was drunk. What a great idea. Yeah. Right. Now we said it on air. Somebody did it. Oh, I'm going to edit this out. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, um, that's why I don't drink anymore because I can't afford to shop drunk. Right. Me either. Okay. UPS starts regular drone deliveries. UPS beat out competitors, including Uber and FedEx, to operate the first regularly scheduled commercial drone delivery program in the country. The shipping giant and Matternet, a drone delivery company, have teamed up to move medical samples around WakeMed's medical campus near Raleigh, North Carolina, under federal and state supervision. WakeMed hopes to save time and money with the drones. While daily trips are short, the group aims to extend flights to as far as 12.5 miles. Wow. How about that? Yeah, I'm not ready for the drone thing. Um, It's all happening, right? We're going to get our packages delivered by little tiny planes, and we're going to be driven around by cars with no driver and the world is uh we're going to be among there's going to be robots they're going to live among us and yep. um and they're going to be the next that's that's going to be the next um you know robots will be the next you know uh species that you know people have to you know be nice to yeah i don't think a robot has feelings but okay. robots yes robots have feelings robots are people too not really but you <laughs> not know, really you know. But okay. You know what we mean. Okay. So, you know, come on. How about the robots, man? They've been suffering. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know how. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm, I'm in a dark place. What can I tell you? All right. How to make it as an influencer. Uh, not by listening to me. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> the term influencer is often applied loosely to any person with a relatively polished social media presence, but some people break through the noise to become leaders in the field. A Manitou Sal bought in brought in three hundred thousand dollars last year through her creative endeavors. For example, Sal's advice for capturing some of the six point five billion dollars that brands plan to spend in twenty nineteen on influencer marketing: build an audience. She told LinkedIn, "It took in her case, it took her a decade, and it also helps to realize any work is still work." Right. So good for you, Manitou. Okay, if I'm saying your name right. Uh, like anything else, yeah, it takes time. Like Joe Rogan's the biggest podcaster, but Joe Rogan's been podcasting since like 2007. So Yeah, but Joe Rogan also was already a television star. It helped, but he was doing podcasts when there was nobody listening to them. But, yeah, that's and, true. Yeah, yep. so that helped also. You know, you got to put your time in sometimes, you know? Yep. Yeah. Smart cities face backlash. Must be those damn robots. Okay. <laughs> Smart smart city ideas have faced increased scrutiny in recent months after critics raised concerns over elements such as privacy, accountability, and utility. Sidewalk Labs 
Sidewalk Slab's plan to take over uh, a piece of the Toronto waterfront was met with protests over revenue sharing and data collection. San Diego's decision to put cameras inside new streetlights is similarly being questioned by critics, having already raised the ire of locals after it was proposed in San Francisco. Meanwhile, Las Vegas' bid to become a smart city has been criticized for being piecemeal and costing the city mo- money with little tangible benefit. You know what? I, I I was in, I think it was LA actually. Yeah, it was actually LA. Like 12 years ago when they had the cameras in the, in the uh, cars. And that was before they blacked out your face when you were sitting in the car with somebody. Now, if you, you get a shot, like going through a light or whatever, the, if you have a passenger in the car, they don't show the passenger. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, this is deadly. If somebody, you know, if you get a ticket in the mail and you're with somebody you're not supposed to be. Rut row. Rut row. Well, but I just, mean, um, since then, they, of that. course, have scrambled the faces. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't like being snapped pictures here and there. Wait, Karen, you know, if you're with somebody you're not supposed to be and they send that picture in, um, <laughs> is your, your significant other going to say, what's with the, what's with the scrambled face? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, so right. Who's in the car with you? Right, right. Good luck with that. All right. Dating app called security risk. The U.S. government has ordered a Chinese company to, to sell the dating app grinder after fears it would, it could expose personal data. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. expressed concerns that personal data could be used by the Chinese government to target defense contractors or those working in other sensitive industries such as telecoms uh, and telecoms, uh, reports the Wall Street Journal. Grindr, which bills itself as a dating app for gay, trans, bi, and queer people, was bought by Beijing Kunlun Tech between 2016 and 2018. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I mean, wow, they, that's that. That was I'm, completely shocking. I'm sure we'd be surprised at whatever of all the owning, uh, all the things Chinese, the Chinese own. Yeah, I'm sure that that app does not scratch the surface. I'm sure you're right. Yes. So let's move on to millennials. We love millennials. I, just love, I love people. I'm a people person. You are, Seth. You <laughs> definitely are. Totally. Uh, millennials are often accused of killing industries, but a new report from CB Insights Research says they're just shifting consumer preferences. Sounds like another way of saying they're killing industries. Uh, yeah. The report looks at 12 sectors millennials are accused of sabotaging, including breakfast cereal, which a generation treats as a snack instead of a breakfast food. Uh, okay. The decline of some industries and services can all too easily be blamed on millennials, according to research, but the real cause is companies failing to adapt. Adapt or die. Adapt or die. First of all, breakfast cereal. Let me just say this again. And I know I've said this in another show. Some marketer back in the early 1900s or even earlier said, this is going to be just for breakfast. (laughs) And we're going to train people over 100 years. You could only eat this stuff at breakfast. Bullshit. Okay. Yeah. You can eat anything you want, anytime you want. You don't have to follow the rules of eating. Yeah, shout out to McDonald's. They serve breakfast all day now. Yeah, and shout out to the Millies. Let me tell you something. I'm on your side. Breakfast cereal can be for snacking. Yeah, whatever you want to do with it. 
You know what? Because they're still little babies. That's why. So this is all their Cheerios in a little plastic bag. No, shut up. You're such okay. a people person. So it's a little bunch of little baby millennials. Oh, yeah. I still, you know, I love my Cheerios. Oh, my God. Shut up. Yeah, you little millennials. Get real food. Stop <laughs> snacking on Cheerios. Grow up. Oh, my God. You're not teething anymore. Oh. Jesus. All right. Let's uh let's, let's 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 give some good news. Disney parks go smoke free. I thought they already were smoke free. I did too. God, welcome to twenty nineteen Disney. Right. Time to unfreeze Walt. Oh um, my god. Disney is set to ban smoking in some stroller wagons from its large U.S. parks starting this spring. The new rules, which apply to the company's Florida and California parks, including Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and water parks are intended in part to reduce congestion as it prepares to open its Star Wars-themed Galaxy's Edge attraction in late May, the company says. Also on the outs at Disney, ice cubes. Wait a minute. Florida, summer, drinks, no ice cubes? Are you kidding me? Wait, is it just say that? It ends up what's also on the outs is ice cubes? It doesn't go into it? Doesn't go into it. To be continued then? TBD. Right. No, TBC. Oh my god. TB something, I don't know. Um you, you can't get rid of ice cubes in Florida. That's ridiculous. Why why don't you just get rid of air conditioning too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's let's turn it let's turn back the clock. Um Anchorage reaches fifty degrees amid record warmth for Alaska. That's it. It's over. Pack it up. Turn All off the podcast right now and get out of town. Do something you want to always do because the world is coming to an end, people. <laughs> you're such over. a you're an inspiration, Seth. It's over. Alaska had unusually high temperatures on uh, temperatures on Saturday with a record tying temperature of 50 degrees at Anchorage International Airport. The National Weather Service said this is the 18th straight day of seeing temperatures above 40 degrees. CBS Anchorage affiliate KDKA reports. Go CBS! Yes, March had seven record high temperatures in Anchorage International Airport. The National Service said, as of 10 a.m., Anchorage ended 102 consecutive days with snow on the ground. The National Weather Service said, if this is the end of snow for the season, it will be the fourth earliest meltdown on record. The earliest meltdown was March 22, 2016. The warmth is all part of a rapid long-term trend in Alaska. Uh, in the last 50 years, the city of Barrow on the northern tip of Alaska has seen an 11-degree spike in its average yearly temperature. By comparison, the average global rise in temperature since the late 1800s has been about two degrees. This is terrible. It really is kind of freaky and scary. Yeah. It's warming two to three times faster than the rest of the lower 48 states. It faces a myriad of issues associated with the changing climate. You know what's going to happen? Alaska's going to melt, and, you know, people are going to have to move down. But you know what? When Alaska melts, everything's going to flood below. Oh, well, good thing that's on the West Coast. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not, why Why would something so, as Alaska, be hot? The degrees are going faster, up faster in Alaska than down here. I don't get that. Ask Al Gore. Oh, good one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, is that it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was an, it's a very interesting headaches and headlines this week. Um, it was. Again, we want to thank Jennifer Dolsky, um, head of groups and community at Facebook. Thank you for your time. It was an amazing, amazing interview. We want to thank everybody for listening. Um, 
from what I hear, word on the street is our numbers are getting extremely high and we're super thrilled about it. Keep listening. Send your friends here. You don't have to download us. Stream us. I don't care. Just listen and comment. Anyway, you know, you can email us and comment. OneToughMother at gmail.com. And today's mother says is focus on proving yourself to yourself and forget about others. Right? That's a good one. Right? Focus on right. proving yourself to yourself and forget about others. They're In irrelevant. The we hope that there will be robots at the playground from here on out taking care of things so Seth doesn't have to worry. I'll fight with the robots too. <laughs> and Seth can play with the robots. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Enjoy the weather. It's supposed to be in the 60s. Be safe. And we're going to have a great guest next week. Talk to you soon. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.